Today on the Arts Report, last year's Fringe Fest Award winner Wicked Shorts moves into the Kulch, this year's Pick of the Fringe selection Grimm and Fisher, and also a screening of The Cove and our bi-weekly books segment, plus more. So stay with us for that, plus we're giving away free tickets to Footloose tomorrow, so stay with us. Welcome to the Arts Report for uh, September the 21st here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at CITR.ca. This is the Arts Report, your weekly fix of arts and culture on the radio. My name is Adam Janusz and I am glad to be alive because uh, the Fringe Festival has taken over my life for the last, um, oh, it seems like lifetime, but I guess technically two and a half weeks. And um, I'm relieved to be in this chair in one piece. Um, we were there a couple of weeks ago for a live broadcast. I was a pirate. I went as Jack Sparrow. I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, I think the official explanation was that uh, we were there uh, to steal good ideas, steal good play ideas. So that was my excuse for dressing up as Jack Sparrow. Had a blast. Everyone thought I was a show at the Fringe and um, was getting all kinds of smiles and, and winks as I walked down the street, which was, which was nice. Um, and what else? And then, of course, we did this uh, podcast series called This Fringy Life, which you can still find. Um, it's still there. It's not gone. At a few places. Uh, CITR.ca is one place where you can find uh, at least... Five episodes, five out of six episodes of This Fringy Life. They're just in YouTube form, and you just click on them, and they play right there on the page. Uh, YouTube is another way to find them. Just type in This Fringy Life, uh, or you can go to the Fringe website, but it's a little trickier to find it there. You'll have to scroll down um, a few pages down their blog to find um, a picture of me and, uh, and a link to, to This Fringy Life, which, of course, if you don't know, is um, a series of podcasts that explores the ins and outs of the 2011 Vancouver International Fringe Festival, uh, all that lurks behind the face of the fringe. So we had, um, we had a theme for every episode, things like uh, Surrender was the, the theme of the first episode, because uh, Surrender to the Fringe was this year's Fringe theme. So we talked to artists um, with plays in the festival about um, an experience they had of surrender or, or what surrender means to them. And we got some amazing stories, some related to their shows, some related to, to real life, and, um, and just really good, good conversation and good stories all around. So there's six episodes of that. The latest one, uh, the last episode, is about the play Little Orange Men, which was a huge hit at the Fringe this year and has been brought back to be a pick of the Fringe show. So it's going to be on Sunday at uh, 4.55. That time is singed into my brain because I was just working on this podcast uh, yesterday. And uh, they will be playing at uh, the Waterfront Theatre. So um, check out uh, VancouverFringe.com. And there you will get links to um, all the Pick of the Fringe shows happening this weekend. These are the cream of the crop. These are the best Fringe plays um, that have been filtered uh, filtered up or down to the top or uh, down to the bottom. Anyway, they've been filtered. Let's just leave it at that. And um, they're ready for you to be uh, consumed um, So the, this weekend. So check that out if you can. Now, uh, let me tell you about what's on the show. Oh, yeah, we're giving away tickets to Footloose. And I have... 
two. We're going to give away two sets. So that's four tickets of, uh, of, of passes that will get you to the special screening Thursday, uh, September 22nd, which is tomorrow at 7.30 at Cineplex International Village. And you, uh, you and a friend uh, can go. Uh, so that's two passes. So two people and two of their friends can go. Uh, we're going to give those away not right now, but, uh, but soon in about uh, five to ten minutes, somewhere in there. Uh, so you'll have to give us a call here, at, um, which is 604-UBC-CITR. Don't worry, I'll give the number out when the time comes. But, um, but start warming up your dialing figure, fingers because uh, we're going to give these tickets away soon. Uh, what else? On the show, we're going to tell you about uh, Wicked Shorts. This was a show at last year's Fringe, and it won the Cultivating the Fringe Award, meaning it, um, it was worthy of, of further development, and it, it got mentorship um, by the folks at the Cult, and then is going to be presented this year. So it was at the Fringe last year, and now it's at the Cult, and it's been refined, retooled, and uh, rebuilt from the ground up, and is coming to the Cult. So that's very exciting. We also will tell you about Grimm and Fisher, which is um, from this year's Fringe Festival, and uh, it has been chosen as a pick of the Fringe, so we'll have an interview with them. They were on the cover of the Georgia Strait, for example. They, they were the one with the big masks um, last week, so we'll talk to them and see what it's like to make a show when you have to look through two tiny little holes um, in a giant mask that you're wearing on your head. We'll also uh, talk to artist Patty McCann, as an Irish artist who's doing his first ever uh, showing in North America, and he's doing that right in Vancouver, so we'll speak to him. But before we get to all that, we want to tell you about uh, a film screening, a special film screening that's coming up in a little bit, and this is a screening of The Cove. It's happening at SFU Harbor Center, and uh, what else can I tell you about it? It will feature an introduction and a discussion led by Leah Lemieux author of Rekindling the Waters, The Truth About Swimming with Dolphins. And it's part of a 2011 film and lecture series that, uh, that they're doing uh, called A Planet Under Pressure, Citizens and Scientists. So I have uh, Leah in the studio with me. Hello. Hello, Adam. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So um, I want to know a lot about uh, what's going on, but uh, to start, tell us, um, tell us about yourself and, and um, what sort of led you to, uh, to be a part of this uh, screening? Well, um, I've been involved with dolphin conservation initiatives for over 20 years. Um, Rick O'Berry, who's the star of the co-film, is uh, sort of a mentor of mine and uh, inspired me upon this path way back when. Mm. So we've been working together on and off in various projects ever since, and um, I'm very involved with the things going on in Japan that are portrayed in the film. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm right in the thick of everything. <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of the storm. Yeah, and it's, I spend a lot of time in Europe um, traveling with the film and doing outreach as well as being in Japan. So it's really great to be doing something in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, I do, um, but uh, to get out to the West Coast here. Okay. Now, for those who haven't seen the film, um, can you give us um, a sense of, of what it's about and... and and take a step back and, and what's sort of the issue at, at, at heart of this? Sure, yeah. Okay, so the film is about uh, the slaughter of dolphins that's going on in Japan, um, and it's sort of this undercover odyssey, um, an eco-thriller, and this team of elite activists um, discover this is happening, and it's their adventures to document what um, this little group of fishermen really wants to hide. And the way this ties into um, us here in Canada is 
it's not the killing of the dolphins for their meat that's um, fueling this killing. It's actually selling some of them into captivity mm. from where they are shipped to aquariums and swim with the dolphins um, institutes all over the world. So um, our big thing here that we're letting people know about is uh, it's been discovered that uh, the three Pacific white-sided dolphins at the Vancouver Aquarium came from this. Uh, they're wild-caught from Japan, so uh, that's a really big um, eye-opener for Vancouverites to right. find this out. This, um, this film actually has a little tentacle that reaches right into Vancouver. <laughs> so. Yeah, it hits home. And how does, that, how does that happen? Because I think an organization like... Um, with the aquarium, is that where they were? Yeah. You know, we would assume that they're, you know, a reputable, reputable group and they wouldn't be, you know, um, dealing with some sort of, you know, dealer under a bridge, you know, exchanging envelopes <laughs> for dolphins. So how does that happen? Well, um, this is often the case with these, um, these institutes. Um, it's not that they went right to the blood-soaked uh, shores of the cove <laughs> and, and plucked a dolphin out the <laughs> way, the, yes, with their bare hands, although that is done. But uh -huh. in this case, um, you'll see uh, there's a process to go through. And legally, to bring um, marine mammals into Canada, it's much easier from a legal standpoint to bring them in when they've already gone through the network of another aquarium. So okay. you don't grab them out of the ocean because the paperwork's horrendous. You uh, launder them, basically, through right. another institute. So when they tell you, oh, no, 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 these didn't come from the blood-soaked shores of the Gove, it, it came from a perfectly respectable Japanese aquarium. But where did they come right. from? Before that, so. right. So the Vancouver Aquarium wouldn't deal with with the these the people who are catching them, but the dolphins would get to one organization, which would get to another, and then this organization would say, "Look, we're a perfectly good, reputable group. You can take this yeah. dolphin from us." But all the while, we have to remember that the people that are making the de these decisions and handing the money over from one to another right. are aware of where the dolphins are originally coming from and the situations. Right, they must know. Right? They do, and of course the public's told the dolphins were rescued from nets, which is a very interesting euphemism for what you'll see in the film. Okay. Because I've been there and watched the whole process with my own eyes. And you can see trainers saying, see, we're rescuing them from nets. They're not telling you the rest of the family was slaughtered and that the money went right into the pockets of dolphin killers. So wow. it's something people are going to want to know about. For sure. Yeah. Now tell us about the, the screening because it's an interesting format to watch a film which will obviously stimulate in the people who are watching it, you know, a lot of uh, opinions and emotions, mm -hmm. certainly, because it's a good movie. Um, and then right after that, there's going to be um, a discussion. Yeah, yeah. And so what's, what's um, the benefit of that kind of format? Um, there are questions that get generated, of course, and especially because everything gets tailored to where I am locally, and mm -hmm. I've just told you what the local issue is. So um, we've got Dr. Larry Dill from CFU, so um, he's going to be moderating. So we've got our marine scientists in there to uh, keep the cool <laughs> and um, step in if needed, but... Um, it's really to open the floor to yeah. questions that people have. It, it, this isn't a, a done deal. This situation that's going on in Japan that's portrayed in the film is ongoing and, mm. and uh, continues to evolve. So that's another thing is to update people on exactly what's going on now mm. and um, to let people get involved if they want to. thing happening right now. So if people do want to jump on board. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, and how can people jump on board if they so choose? What can we... What can a regular person do about the situation that's happening in Japan? 
Well, um, the first thing we have to realize is get educated, and this film's magnificent for that. You, 90 minutes later, you know a whole heck of a lot about all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things is, is captivity money. People's the, the ticket price goes uh, through the system and ends up paying to subsidize this dolphin slaughter. So one of the things everybody can do is make the decision, the informed decision, not to buy a ticket to places that are supporting that. Right. Um, beyond that, Save Japan Dolphins is um, one of the groups that I work with in this. And when you get to their website, there's everything from something you can do you, all the way up to getting what your... What can you do in 20 minutes? You can um, write uh, an email to the right, right person or sign a petition or right. um, pass that information on to two people. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of stuff like that. And for the real diehards, um, there's, mm -hmm. there's everything that can get you eventually right to the shores of the cove where we're all working with our team. So. Is that right? Sure. Is that yeah. actually on the table for, for people to, to join? It, it, it can be. If, yeah. if somebody's that dedicated, then they can get down there. Um, wow. People do all kinds of crazy fundraising things to raise the the the, the, the funds Awareness. necessary and yeah. get down there. Last time I was there, there was a, people of all ages, including mm -hmm. students, um, from uh, at least twelve countries. So this is quite a phenomenon down there. That wow. uh, there were two wonderful students from Norway, the university students, and they just came back this year. So for their second round, oh, okay. now they're back veterans. For more. <laughs> yeah, yeah for it's amazing what's going on there. So literally, you can you can participate for five minutes, or you can get right on board, and everything right. in between. Well, we've we've quickly run out of time. Is there anything else you'd wanna you wanna mention about the the event? Um, I think if if you can get on down there and be a part of it, please, we'd love to see you. <laughs> So this is uh, The Cove and the Connection to Canada, a free special screening and discussion, and it's happening Thursday, September 22nd from 7 until 9 p.m., and this is all going down at room 1900 at SFU Harbor Centre, which is 515 West Hastings in Vancouver. And as I said, it's free. Our listeners like free events. <laughs> so... Uh, Come on down. Uh, Leah, thanks very much. Thanks so much, Adam. Take care. All right. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll have uh, more arts report for you. So stay with us. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Shindig. Shindig is CITR's annual Battle of the Bands. Every Tuesday at the Railway Club, three bands go head-to-head-to-head -to -head -to -head for a coveted spot in the semifinals. September 27th, Blondwich, Mercy Years, and Tyranna Horse will duke it out on the Railway Club stage. October 4th, it's a battle royale with Pranatrix, Sleuth, and Weekday Yard Sale. Read all about it at shindig.citr.ca. Twins? I thought that was just a myth. Like Bigfoot. September 28th. The Biltmore Cabaret is going to be seen double when Twin Shadow takes his clean cuts tour to Vancouver. Tickets can be procured from the fine merchants at Red Cat, Beef Street, High Life, Scratch, and Victoria's Ditch Records. The Perpetually Online can secure entry at www.ticketweb.ca. That's Twin Shadow with Diamond Rings, September 28th at the Biltmore. Brought to you by Timber Productions. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM, and we're streaming online at citr.ca. Uh, so you just heard us there talking about The Cove, a uh, special screening of The Cove, coming at you um, 
tomorrow. Another thing happening tomorrow is uh, is a screening of another film that's uh, completely not connected to any environmental issue or any issue whatsoever. But uh, you know, good entertainment, which is valuable as well. It's uh, Footloose. Um, what's the tagline here? This is our time to cut loose. Uh, Footloose is uh, coming to theaters. Um, what does it say here? In October. Um, and there's a special screening happening uh, tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. at Cineplex International Village, which is, of course, uh, Tinseltown. So, hey, we want to give you some tickets. We want to thank you for uh, listening to our show. Uh, we put a lot of work into it, and we want to reward you for listening by giving you tickets to Footloose right now. So if you call 604-822-2487, we'll give you tickets. That's 604 822 Eight seven. So give us a ring, ding. We we will give away two pa- uh, two sets of passes. You know, so like two and then another two. So that's six zero four eight two 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 four eight seven. We're gonna take a quick break, maybe play a song, and then get on with the rest of the show. Don't miss the Vancouver debut of one of Canada's best kept musical secrets when Beatroot Magazine, Weird Canada, Lifetime Collective, and CITR one hundred one point nine FM present Jennifer Castle. Thursday, September 29th at the Electric Owl Social Club. Advanced tickets are available at Zulu, Beat Street, Neptune, Red Cat, and online at electricowl.ca. That's Jennifer Castle with the Ruffled Feathers and David Vertesi. Thursday, September 29th at the Electric Owl Social Club, 928 Main Street. Thursday, October 13th, Sealed with a Kiss presents Siskiyou, Christopher Smith, and The Beck and Call live at the Waldorf Cabaret. Make sure you don't miss the last Canadian show Siskiyou plays for the rest of the year. Not to mention, it's their record release party. Doors are at 8pm, tickets are $10 in advance, and can be found at Red Cat Records, Zulu Records, and on the Ticketmaster website. Sponsored by CITR 101.9 FM.
Hey, we're back here on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Congratulations to Leila for winning a pair of uh, those tickets to Footloose tomorrow. All right, so we're going to get on with our show. Uh, you just heard Young Rival with Modern Life, which I have to admit I stole from Frank. Uh, that's uh, one of his musical uh, selections. And um, yeah, and uh, so the next thing we want to tell you about is uh, Wicked Shorts. This is from Alley Theatre. And last year they did a site-specific show at Wicked Cafe, and they called it Wicked Shorts. And what was cool about it is that it took place in the cafe. You sat at your seat and, and enjoyed your beverage and the show would take place around you. Then they won the Cultivating the Fringe Award at the end of the festival last year and got an opportunity to do their play inside a real theatre. So obviously this was uh, very exciting for Marissa Smith uh, from Alley Theatre, who directed the show. But at the same time, it posed uh, quite a challenge because uh, how do you take a site-specific show uh, that has one of its strengths as uh, being a, a, a site-specific show, how do you put it inside uh, a proper venue and not lose the thing that makes it special? Well, you turn the theater into a cafe. That's what you do. And that's what they've done. So, um, so very exciting. And uh, so here's an interview with uh, Marissa Smith from Alley Theater. And uh, it started with me uh, asking her to uh, give us a sense of uh, what the show is uh, about for those people who didn't get a chance to see it last year. I'm just pulling it up. Here it comes. Here it comes now. Oh, wait, here it goes. <laughs> uh, originally, uh, were written. some of them were written site-specifically for uh, a cafe uh, downtown called Wicked Cafe, um, and uh, they all had a man and a woman, a two-hander, um, and uh, they all took place sort of in a cafe setting. Mm -hmm. um, but now, uh, now that we're at the cult, they've kind of taken a, a different twist. Aha! Uh -huh. Can we yeah. do? Are we allowed to know what that twist is? I can tell you a little bit about <laughs> it, I guess, um, because I guess. Um, my company mainly does site-specific work, and when we were asked to do the uh, the pieces in uh, theater, I kind of went, what? How are we going to do this now? <laughs> theater, that's weird. Um, and some of them really stood on their own uh, in, in a theatrical setting with kind of like a sort of a surreal cafe atmosphere, because mm -hmm. um, we're being able to use lights and uh, set decor and all that kind of thing. And the whole of the culture lab, the, the studio theater and the culture is going to be um, filled with tables and chairs. Mm -hmm. So you'll kind of feel, as an audience member, I think you'll feel that like you're in a cafe. Um, that being said, um, there may be a piece or two in there where uh, the cult and the uh, culture lab itself are used site specifically. So um, a couple of the shows, maybe a character will play someone who works at the cult or mm. uh, someone who works in the theater, at least. Anyways, see that's really um, interesting what you say there because um, you know you say that you're into doing uh, site-specific work, and it almost sounds like you want to turn the cult and the culture lab <laughs> into a site, like an off-theater site. Yeah, similar. It's it's a yeah, kind of the way the angle that I've taken on a few of the pieces. Now, some of the pieces will be staged somewhat traditionally, okay. although most of the action will happen in and around the audience, so there's no real stage, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so they'll be kind of like 
playing areas for the actors and alleys for the actors to kind of come in and around, but it'll be pretty, pretty up close and personal, but uh, not a whole lot of interaction with the audience. And why did you want to, to do that? Why, what's, uh, what's the value of um, doing site-specific work that you really wanted to bring into a, a traditional theater space? I think uh, there's an intimacy that, that happens sometimes in site-specific work where you feel like you're led into the world and the environment that the characters are in. Mm-hmm. So instead of being in your comfy seat in the dark watching someone in the distance on a stage lit up, you're actually in the same space as them and you're lit up just like them. Um, and you're, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at the same things that they're looking at and it's all very real. Well, sort of real. Feels yeah, real yeah. Anyways. Exactly. A, yeah. a more of an immediacy, I guess, like you're in the yeah. setting rather than allowing or, or forcing the actors to create the setting for you. You're, you're part of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. And why is that, Important. I mean, I, I wonder if if there's an element in 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 your work of of almost needing to to shake audiences up or wake them up or or bring them a little closer to the action. Is is that is that is that am I am I right at all there? Yeah, I think so. I think that theater is live, and um, and why not make it even more live? <laughs> you know, um, I think. Like, that, is it a problem? Uh, like, is 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 regular theater not real enough sometimes? Maybe. Well, see, I, I think real is probably the wrong word. Live, I think, is the better word. Okay. And, and maybe more like intimate or immediate, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do have a, a one piece that's quite very much in, in the, the realm of realism. And then the, the rest of the pieces are sort of either surreal or, um, or kind of like a sci-fi comedy kind of thing. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I think this kind of work... What I've noticed is that people feel kind of like included yeah. in the story, but they don't feel like they have to participate necessarily. They just feel, I think, just included as an audience as opposed to be having to be on the outside and just sort of watch it and spectate it. But it's more of an experience, I guess, this way. Hmm. Uh, let me ask yeah. you about um, your experience um, having won the Cultivating the, the Fringe Award. Um, mm-hmm. And tell me what's... what's uh, you know, give me an example of, of how the show has evolved or, or how your process has evolved. Well, uh, when we first got the award, we were kind of going, well, okay, so uh, it, it really was, was like kind of a, a really neat artistic challenge to take a show that we'd, like, because when, when we did it in Wicked Cafe, we had actors coming in and out of the front door of the cafe, and an actor <laughs> would slam onto the window of the cafe and go to the bathroom, and it was just very, like, all the staging we'd done was specifically for the Wicked Cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting challenge that way to kind of go, okay, so how are we going to stage it in, uh, in the cult now? And at first we thought, oh, maybe we'll do it in the lobby, maybe we'll do a roaming version of the show, and it'll all take place in different areas of mm-hmm. the, uh, the facility itself. But then logistically that, didn't, that wasn't going to work out. So I had to kind of go, okay, how do each of these four pieces work in this square box that we have of the, the studio in the culture? And uh, some of them work just on their own um, stage, somewhat theatrically in a sense, that mm-hmm. the actors were not really interacting with their environment too, too much. Um, and then one of them, I, I was just, I was up at night thinking about it and thinking, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I had to, 
I, then I thought, well, wait a minute. Why, can't, why does this have to stay in a cafe? Why can't we stage it at the studio and mm. have it be in the theater? And that's when I started to get really excited. Because then we thought, oh, okay, well, what, does, what does the person who works at the theater look like? And what are they, how do they act? <laughs> and what do they do there? And yeah. And I think that's going to be really neat, letting the audience in on kind of the behind the scenes of theater as well. And, and how about um, in terms of the sort of artistic uh, process, is there anything that, that, that's changed um, in terms of how the stories are told or, or maybe the sort of, uh, you know, the emphasis in terms of, you know, directing and, and the acting? Is, is it the same show as it was last year? Um, it's going to be, the, the writing has cha is changed just in little things like mm -hmm. in terms of like basically to do with whenever they reference the setting. And, mm -hmm. and a little bit to do with where, how the characters interact with the setting. But the writing will stay pretty much the same. The staging is going to change a lot because there's, there's tables and chairs to deal with. <laughs> okay. um, so the actors will be running around in these sort of pathways through, through tables and chairs and, and that kind of thing. And, and the, um, some of the shows, because we have a bit more room, will take place in different locations around the room as opposed to just on one end of the room. Mm -hmm. um, But in terms of artistic process, it's been really neat because I've been able to collaborate with the set and lighting designer, which I've never been able to do with site-specific stuff. Um, and the, uh, the facilities at the culture are fantastic. They've got a great inventory of lighting and sound equipment and all that kind of thing. So I'm really, really excited. My um, lighting and set designer's name is Lachlan Johnson, and I've been a big fan of his work for a mm. long time now, and I just, I still can't believe I'm working with him. <laughs> It's really neat. Yeah. You're still a bit starstruck? Yeah, totally. I'm like, oh, there you are. <laughs> right yeah, on. yeah. Is there anything else you'd mm -hmm. want to mention about the show or any, anything else going on? Um, yeah, actually, if I could quickly mention just that uh, to get there early, because Lachlan mm. has created such a wonderful... Um, Uh, set and and uh, kind of the cafe, I think, is just going to be so wonderful just to experience on its own. Um, so if you want to get there early and have a drink at your table, and actually to get a really good table, you right. can kind of have a look and be like, oh, this is the table I want to sit at, you know? Right. Um, so I would recommend getting there at least half an hour before the show starts. We open the doors at 7.20, shows start at 8. So that would be my recommendation to audience. It's almost like um, you, it's almost like we should consider the pre-show as as part of the show, right? It's not just being yeah, early yeah. to the venue; it's it's coming to experience the the before the show experience, right? Oh, exactly! Like it's really going to set the tone for the show, and and my sound designer Jess has come up with a fantastic mix of pre-show music, and yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Awesome! Well, yeah. well, thanks so much for your time, and uh, and break break many legs. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, take care, I said there. Uh, that's Marissa Smith from Wicked Shorts. Uh, Marissa is awesome to, to talk to anytime. She's a real up-and-coming star, if I, can, if I can call her that. If you'll forgive me, Marissa, for calling you a star um, in the Vancouver theater scene and uh, getting loads of uh, praise and respect um, you know, in her early career. So we expect a lot of great things from her or else. Um, the show runs from September 21st until October the 9th. Uh, always at 8 p.m. And it's at the Van City Culture Lab, which is inside the Kulch. The Kulch has the historic theater, and then it has this uh, culture lab, and that's where they've, they've turned it into a, a cafe. It's a much more flexible studio-type space. Tickets to that are $30, and you can find them at theculch.com. That's the Kulch. Like, uh, uh, I won't bother spelling it out. Just go to our website, citr.ca, 
and you'll find a link to Wicked Shorts and everything else we've uh, we have on today's show. You can get uh, ticket information and uh, links to all that good stuff. So uh, so check that out online. That's citr.ca. You can also find our podcast and links to our Twitter feed, our Facebook group. I want to call it. That's probably the wrong word. Fan page page it's a facebook page that we have and uh and also a link to our youtube channel which um has 18 videos on it now the most recent six videos are for this fringy life uh which explores in documentary style um the ins and outs of the 2011 uh vancouver international fringe festival which yes has technically come to an end but uh still going on in terms of pick of the fringe the best of the fringe is coming this weekend and some fundraiser shows as well so it's actually a good time if you have been on the moon and have just returned to vancouver and you want to catch some of the fringe it's not a bad time to get here because uh you get the uh, the, the creme de la creme of the fringe so uh check uh yeah right where did this start right our youtube channel so uh check us out on youtube just write uh arts report or uh this fringy life or yes uh find the link at citr.ca okay we're gonna take a tiny little uh break and when we return we will talk books so stay with us hello i'm kent brockman and this is i on shindig shindig is citr's annual battle of the bands Every Tuesday at the Railway Club, three bands go head-to-head-to-head for a coveted spot in the semi-finals. September 27th, Blondwich, Mercy Years, and Tyranna Horse will duke it out on the Railway Club stage. October 4th, it's a battle royale with Pranatrix, Sleuth, and Weekday Yard Sale. Read all about it at shindig.citr.ca. And we're back on the Arts Report on CITR, uh, CITR 101.9 FM and CITR.ca. I got uh, confused which one to say first. Do I go with the website or do I go with the uh, the radio dial? Um, yeah, that's who we are. Uh, my name is Adam Janusz and now it's time for books. Books, books, books. Yeah. On today's uh, installment of books, we are talking about opening doors. Uh, this is a bi-weekly feature we have on the Arts Report. Uh, books, we're very excited. We have a jingle for it and everything. That's how great it is. And our books correspondent is Megan Thomas. So take it away, Megan. This week's book is Opening Doors, a look into Vancouver's East End, or Strathcona. Edited by Daphne Marlett and Carol Itter and originally published in Sound Heritage in 1979, it's now being re-released as a Vancouver 125 legacy book. It's a collection of stories from people who lived in Vancouver's East End, some of them as children, some as adults, starting in the 1890s. You get stories of what it was like to be a woodcutter, to be a mother, to be Japanese or Jewish in the 1940s. There are stories from Nora Hendricks and Maya Friedman, whose legacies obviously are still around today, be there in the Shrine on Terminal or the shoe stores on Granville. What I really like about this book is that you really get a sense from the people of what their specific life was like. There are stories of racism, inclusion, community, fear. There's definitely an us-against-the-world mentality, though who us is and who we're against could change at any time. Some of the stories are contradictory, some of them are mundane, but it is definitely taking a peek into the past. It's a coffee table book. It's something to flip through on those rainy days, which we have a few of in Vancouver. 
I feel like it's an epistle to the world about where we first started. In fact, when my brother went to Burning Man this summer, I sent a copy of this along. And in the front, I wrote, These are some of our stories. Enjoy. XOXO, Vancouver. Yeah, it's a little cheesy, but as Vancouverites, we have such a diverse history here. And as things start to get cut up and moved around, as James C. Johnston in the New Forward mentions, we're starting to perhaps lose some of that history. So I definitely recommend you pick up opening doors at your local bookshop and make sure that you get to know a little bit about the people who first came here and look around you and see how those legacies are still alive. For books, this is Megan. Thanks, Megan. Um, Megan will be with us every two weeks to talk about books. And um, and I don't know what's on next week, but Opening Doors was the book that she was talking about there. You can find it in bookstores now. <laughs> books, books, books. Yeah. Thanks to the UBC Acapella Club for uh, providing that uh, books jingle. That's the first one they did. They did the, the theme song at the top of the show. I don't know if you, if you, if you missed it. Um, and uh, they are taking members now. If you're a UBC student or faculty member and uh, you want to do some singing, the UBC Acapella Club is the way to go. I believe it's UBC acapella.com something like that um just google it you'll find it just make sure acapella is spelled with two c's no two p's and two l's there we go uh so check them out online all right moving right along grim and fisher was on the cover of the georgia Straits a few weeks back they weren't even supposed to be in the vancouver fringe they were at the victoria fringe and thanks to some late uh, cancellations in vancouver they were able to extend their tour across western canada to right here in vancouver that tour uh, was funded through kickstarter the duo that created Grimm and Fisher, Kate Braywood Phoenix and Andrew Phoenix, uh, are Portland-based. And they created, uh, they went to Kickstarter, which is a fundraising website for uh, creative uh, endeavors. And they asked their friends, family, and, and fans to uh, give them up to uh, $3,000 so that they can do a Fringe Fest tour from Winnipeg to Victoria. And they did it. They raised over, I think what they wanted was $2,900, and they ended up getting uh, $3,000. And they did this tour, and then this last-minute cancellation, they came to Vancouver, and they were a huge hit, so much so that they were picked as um, as one of the best shows of this year's Fringe, the pick of the Fringe, and will be performing uh, this weekend. So I saw them uh, last Saturday, and I was able to, well, interview them uh, right after one of their shows. And uh, we talked about all kinds of, um, all kinds of good things, including um, how they put the show together. Because if you saw the Georgia Strait cover, they wear these giant masks, like full head masks. And they can only see, as you'll hear in the interview, they can only see through little holes, in, in, in one case, uh, through nostril holes of a giant head. So how do you rehearse? How do you uh, improvise? How do you build a scene when you can't really see your scene partner? Um, so, so to find out that and, uh, and about the, the lovely story of um, an old woman who basically refuses to go quietly, uh, the Grim Reaper, the, that's the Grim in Grim and Fisher, uh, comes for her and uh, she doesn't want to go. And uh, it was a heart, heartwarming and hilarious tale that, uh, that charmed the pants off Vancouver audiences and, and led to them being picked uh, a pick of the fringe. And not only that, 
they won this year's uh, Cultivating the Fringe Award. So they will be back. Um, they will be back next year with a sort of expanded, retooled, po- repolished, or polished for the first time uh, version of Grimm and Fisher to the Culture. So that's very exciting. So here is our interview. Asks. Uh, well, we've been doing this particular show since 2009, off and on, um, and we both trained at the same school called Del Arte International, and it's a physical theater school, and so you train in various things, not just mask, but mask is part of the program, yeah. so we did some training there in mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Probably been working with mask for, in, you know, more in, intensely for, uh, well, since like 2004, 2005. Yeah. And is it yeah. exclusively, like, since that time, or do you also do just regular human shows <laughs> as well? Do uh, all, all kinds, all yeah. kinds, but we both have a p- particular affinity for yeah. uh, for mask work, uh, you know, this kind of mask work, but also um, a half mask, Commedia dell'arte, where you yeah. can actually speak, yeah. uh, and even uh, clown work, which is yeah. also, people kind consider the clown knows a, a, a little tiny mask, so. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> With uh, a lot of power. Yes, right. exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so, so yeah. yeah, but but we we can do other kinds of things. You know, every <laughs> once in a while we'll do a Neil Simon play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes we miss talking, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and what do you find is the greatest, you know, strength or what do you notice? Like I I, I bet you when you're in rehearsal with this kind of thing, there must be moments where you're like, this amazing thing is happening that never happens when you don't wear when you don't have this full face mask or or what do you see as as maybe the biggest advantage over. Uh, other styles of theater like what can you do maybe better than right. you can't do uh, for, I think gosh I think it has a lot to do with sort of um, the whimsical quality of these masks like you can kind of step away from the real world mm-hmm. and, and have a char- have somebody have a character be death like death is a character mm-hmm. and I feel like that would be a bit harder to buy if it was just right, regular unmasked theater mm-hmm. and so you can kind of step into this more cartoon whimsical world mm-hmm. uh, and people go with you they sort of they, they, they're willing to, to, to go with you on that uh, yeah I mean I think of it sort of like uh, like sci-fi sci-fi takes a different world but tells a familiar story oftentimes and somehow you're able to see that familiar story in a different light because it's told through a different medium of sorts. So it's sort of the same thing for this, is that we're telling probably a story you've seen, you know, Seven Seal, uh, um, uh, uh, Mr. Meet Joe Black. You know, those are stories about death being a more yeah, human kind of character. Kind of right, yeah, right. totally. But this is just another way to see it. And almost like watching a cartoon, you somehow can accept things that you wouldn't accept otherwise because yeah. you see them in a different light. So. Yeah, it's almost like it gives us permission as an, as an audience to get into these sometimes difficult subjects, sure. like right. death. Yeah. Um, it almost gives us permission because it's like, oh, they're just wearing silly masks, this is fun. Oh my God, this is really right, serious. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, and oh my God, I'm thinking about this and enjoying yeah. it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, you know, you, you, talk, you mentioned there getting into the, these kinds of of subjects and I and I have so many questions about how you how did you put this story together is it is it a matter of a lot of um, improv and play and just discovery and just sort of like let's just put on these things and and see what happens for the next hour and a half um, or did you go into it with a, a firm plan like we want to tell the story we want to do the, the death story 
It was really a combination of the two. We knew we knew what the base story was. We knew we knew we had death, and we knew we had the old lady, and that she was going to fight. Grim, and you had Fisher. Yeah, Grim, and we had Fisher. We knew that. We knew the basic premise. Uh, but then we really did create most of it on our feet. Uh, when we first created it, we worked with an outside eye um, who gave us feedback and helped us shape it. Because it's one thing about working in these masks is, is it's really hard to improvise. You can't see very well. So, you know, if, if we're if we're kind of generating new material and improvising, I have no idea what Andrew's doing. <laughs> and the, the is side. that because you can't see him you, you properly? There's no yeah. peripheral. Like, oh, my God. So how do you how do you do it then? <laughs> do you need an outside person? Like, what is, what is he doing? I what can't he, see yeah. him on the stage. Actually, Can you explain uh, it? We, Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty 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 well choreographed, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Just out of necessity. Yeah, I mean, there's moments when we're on our own that we will improvise a moment, or you know, like the phone went off in the show yesterday, uh, and we sort of stopped in the middle and looked over at the phone, <laughs> and then kept going. You know, and you kind of kind of you're able to do that sometimes, but but you, there, a lot of it takes choreography. Like we have we have da- dance sequences, we have uh, a fight sequence, so you know. Fight choreography is hard, anyways. But when you do fight choreography, when you have no peripheral vision, <laughs> I can only see down my nose. Really, she can only see through the holes and that. You know, so outside eye helps because they tell you what works and what yeah. you know. The audience perception is really important because. But, but I would think in improv, it's so important to to know. You know, it's like a dance, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> speaking sure. of choreography, that you need to know that there's so much back and forth, there's so much uh-huh. interaction between you and your scene partner, and you feed off each other's energy, blah 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 blah. Um, how can you do that if you can only see through little slits? Sometimes we would actually improvise without the masks, just oh, so sure. just so mm-hmm. we could, yeah. So yeah. still no dialogue, but we would just improvise so we could see each other. <laughs> yeah, and we would do writing, sitting down as well, actual writing, okay. and so uh-huh. it was a combination of. A lot of different elements. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you, and you know, like most original creation processes, you end up making. There's a lot that didn't make it into the show, right? There's a lot of things we tried and thought, oh, this might be a good idea. How would that look? How would that work? You know. Um, but is that a waste? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Never a waste because you know what happens is uh, sometimes you bring it back. And you go, oh, oh, we need. You know, something's not working. We want to add something in. We take it at a different place, put it here. You know, we do all kinds of cabarets and media events and things you go oh well maybe there's that bit we didn't use but we can use it for that showing or whatever so and never a waste because that thing even if you threw it away brought you to somewhere else yeah and i imagine it would kind of just add a layer to your character that's it it still lands somewhere and forms a a base for for some part of you Mm -hmm. for sure wow and for the story you know we were talking outside about how it has this elegant simplicity, you know, both in terms of the subject matter. It's like, she's going to die. She <laughs> needs to die. Why won't she die? <laughs> yeah. Right? And there's, there's those kinds of simple aspects. But at the same time, there, there's a, I don't know, like a universality about it or a depth that's just very clear as well at the uh-huh. same time. It's like simple and extremely bottomless at the uh-huh. same time. And, uh, again, I don't know where the question is. Maybe it's more of just a compliment. <laughs> you can keep doing that. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. I'll just keep talking. That's, pa- that's actually part of why I like this form, too. It kind of forces you to simplify things yeah. on all levels. We found that our, our very first version of the show was a lot more complicated. The story right. was a lot more complicated. And we were trying to do things that just didn't communicate to the audience, right. that didn't make sense. Um, so it kind of forces you to pare, pare it down and just be... Just tell a simple story. Tell the core yeah. the message and, and be clear. Yeah, about you that. can't really have subtext with these characters. <laughs> and a lot of plays will have more complexity yeah. and maybe won't be as simple of a story because there's a there's a subtext to the language. There's a 
there's an alternate story to the story, um, which I think what you were saying is that we end up having that, but mm. but I think it comes from we we really focus on that yes. simple story of of um, simple emotions and yeah. simple uh, needs and actions. It's like what's the mm. action? Yeah. Oh, you know she's getting away, he's going after her. You know what they want. You know what their urges are. Um, but then that also makes you look at it in a broader context because yeah. you're not bogged down thinking about yeah. too many complex things. But then that there's like a vacuum creates, and then it's like <laughs> all the stuff comes in right. to it. So we like yeah. creating head vacuums. For people. <laughs> uh, that's Andrew and Kate Phoenix creating head vacuums with Grimm and Fisher, which is coming to the Waterfront Theater on Granville Island as part of Pick of the Fringe. So they will be uh, there on Thursday and Friday. Uh, Thursday, that's uh, tomorrow, September 22nd at 9 p.m. And then on Friday, September 23rd at 8.50. And uh, one last note on Grimm and Fisher. Uh, Andrew is from uh, Texas, and Kate is originally from Maple Ridge, B.C. And um, they live, they're based in Portland now, and last year, they came to Vancouver to visit Kate's family, and, and uh, Andrew, um, you know, met uh, her family and uh, got to experience the city, which was great. And one of the first, or the first, theatrical experience that uh, Andrew had in Vancouver was at The Colch, and he saw uh, Mump and Smoot. And so he was a bit uh, kind of starstruck, I guess, let's say, when he picked up the award for Cultivating the Fringe uh, on Sunday night and was just kind of taken aback that, that this place where he experienced theater for the first time here in the city is also where he gets to bring his show next year. I mean, how cool is that? So congratulations to them and uh, go check out Grimm and Fisher. It's very funny and very... Kind of dark, darkly funny. So check it out. Thursday, September 22nd at 9 p.m. or Friday at 8.50. And uh, tickets, I don't have ticket prices in front of me. I believe it's $15. But uh, find out for yourself by going to VancouverFringe.com. And everything's right there on the front page for you. So we're going to take a quick little break. And when we come back... We'll tell you about Patty McCann, who is an artist from Ireland who did his first uh, showing in North America right here in Vancouver. So stay with us. Become a friend of CITR and receive great discounts at businesses around Vancouver. Your friends of CITR card will get you discounts on Main Street at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Woo Vintage, the Kiss Store, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, Red Cat Records, The Regional Assembly of Text, RX Comics, Temple of the Modern Girl, Flaming Angels Boutique, and The Wallflower Modern Diner. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To find out more, come visit us in room 233 of the Sub on UBC campus or visit us online at citr.ca. And we're back on the Arts Report on CITR, 101.9 FM in Vancouver and streaming worldwide at citr.ca. If you've missed any of the features like on Wicked Shorts or just now Grimm and Fisher, if you didn't catch the beginning of that interview, our podcast will be uh, be available in approximately an hour. Uh, and you can find that at citr.ca. Just follow the links from shows to podcasts to A for Arts Reports. And uh, you'll be able to download it right onto your computer right there, which uh, is something that I have to add about last week's podcast is sadly it did not make it to the the interweb. 
Uh, for some reason, I put the podcast up myself, uh, made sure it loaded into the World Wide Web, but for some reason, it, it did not go through. And uh, the podcasts are only available to be put up for a week. And since it's Wednesday now, um, when I discovered that it didn't go up uh, at all, um, sadly, we lost that show. I feel like I'm delivering a, a, a rest in peace message. So last week's Arts Report, may you rest in peace. Uh, we will all miss you. Unfortunately, we'll never get to hear you ever again. Um, but know that we love you. Um, all right. That weird moment was brought to you by me. Uh, moving on. Vertical Bridge by Patty McCann. Patty McCann is an internationally known artist, and he is showing his North American debut right here in Vancouver at the Petley Jones Gallery. This painter, printmaker, and sculptor, born in Northern Ireland, focuses on turning his memories into art. And through this, his art serves an autobiographical function. All of his pieces, regardless of this, um, give us offer many interpretations. Our visual arts correspondent, Jean Yi, went to the opening and spoke to Patty McCann there. And here is their interview. So we're sitting here with Patty McCann at Putley Jones Gallery. Um, night of your opening, how does it feel to be in Vancouver? Good to be here. Yeah, even better to have an exhibition here. Um, it's a beautiful city and a beautiful part of the world. So, so what has it been like mounting the show in Vancouver? Is it is it different from Europe? Is it similar? Is it sort of one of those things that? Well, it's, I suppose a gallery is a gallery, no matter where you go. Um, I suppose it's the people really that make it what it is, the experience what it is, and um, I've certainly no complaints from the Petley Jones Gallery. Everything's been really. Really good, well organized, professional, and it's a fantastic space. And I'm more than delighted to have my work hanging on the walls. So, what would you say was an inspiration for Vertical Bridge? Vertical Bridge series of paintings um, started earlier in the year. No real one specific thing. I suppose it was just bringing together different strands of experience from memory and um, being in the present day. Within Belfast, I mean, there's there's elements of the landscape, bridges, rivers, hints at various things that connect to my childhood and growing up uh, close to the border in Ireland on the northern side. So, you know, they're figurative with elements that are recognisable, hopefully, within a a painterly, um, a painterly process. Um, so, just memory and human condition, really. So, a lot of the of the works in Vertical Bridge have this figurehead, mm. um, and you said that it's a lot about memory and and recognizable figures. But are these intended to be self portraits? Are they more of just well, most of the um, most of the heads and figures, I think, are um, male. Um, when I normally paint a, a male figure or figure, I suppose it is me on, on some level. Um, but the human head, the human figure, is um, a framework or a container that you can 
I believe, says so much in terms of relating to the human condition, the human experience. Um, and particularly so with painting, because with painting you can layer, you can apply and take off, you can change things and you can use what's called imagination, which it's probably the only medium where you can really, really do that. You know, you can do, you can put down whatever you want to put down mm-hmm. out of painting, or you can discover things that um, were not within your thinking at the start, just to the painting process and the use of the subconscious. subconscious. So would you say that's why painting is your medium of choice? Painting, to me, is a very mysterious activity. And I suppose that's what keeps me involved with it. You know, it's full of surprises and also full of self-doubt, man, you put... Um, <laughs> or at least I am. But um, So mystery and doubt, excitement, all those things make painting what it is. Great. Well, the show was excellent. I'm really looking forward to the opening. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank, Thank you, Jean. And that's Gene Yi talking to Patty McCann. And uh, his exhibition is at uh, the Petley Jones Gallery, uh, which is just petleyjones.com. And you can get more information uh, there and check it out. That's, it's still running until uh, this weekend. I think it's been extended through the weekend. So you still have time to see the Patty McCann exhibit uh, there. So check that out. Well, this brings us to the end of our program.